This is the Rad Mars Podcast, episode 41. I'm Andy Mindler. And I'm Brendan Trombley. I'm Trevor Williams. I'm Andrew Ford. I'm Rousey. What up? How's it going, my friends? Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. It's going so good, Mike. <laughs> we missed you. Sounded a little bore rat in there. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen the new movie. Apparently, it's funny. And I, I saw the clip with Giuliani, so I was like, oh boy. <laughs> that yep. is the clip. Yeah, the clip. Yeah. I have uh, not seen this clip. It's a goddamn train wreck. <laughs> I'm imagining that's what that movie is. Whatever. Who cares? Let's talk about Final Fantasy. I'm so fucking psyched that the new expansion was released or announced uh, on Friday. Our, well, when is it coming out? Uh, no release date yet, but the original ah. planned release date was the summer, um, this summer, coming summer. But who knows if oh. that's delayed or not uh, because of COVID. They haven't said anything yeah. about it. So. When did that game first release and how many expansions have there been? Ten years ago. And Holy shit, really? That's Yeah. It feels so more re- much more recent. Well, uh, technically. It had a really rocky years. start, right? Yeah, it had a really bad start. So there's a really cool documentary. If you look it up on YouTube, there's a no-clip documentary about Final Fantasy XIV and how like horribly mismanaged the 1.0 version of that game was. And then they eventually like nuked it and took it down and, and rebuilt it from the ground up. And uh, 2.0, Realm Reborn, which is like the kind of modern incarnation of it, is uh, great and cool and wonderful. Um, I love it. Who was in charge of it when it was like like a disaster? Uh, I don't know, some dude at Square. <laughs> Did not he there. get his ass like shit canned? He ain't there no more. Uh, well, he's not the director, so probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Know. They replaced him. Uh, so good. I was just going to say, it's it's astounding, I guess, 10 years, and they haven't come out with a new Final Fantasy MMO. You know? Maybe that's just not the model anymore. Well, 11 lasted for a real long time, and it's technically still going. That they like released some <laughs> recent content update. They really? like support these games for a real long time. Um, they did it's just announce, or yeah. not just, but the, like a few months ago, they announced the next Final Fantasy 16, which looks dope. I, um, I was just about to say, because also 15 came out like it's so it's like 14 came out 10 years ago, 15 came out two or three years ago, was it? Yeah, maybe longer. Well, both of those well, were 15, in development hell for a long time. Yeah, yeah. 15 uh, went through some shit. Yeah, they um, like when you read about all the problems that Final Fantasy fourteen had, 15 makes a lot more sense because mm. 15 is also an incoherent mess. So clearly, like, whatever the fuck they had problems internally was, like, company-wide. Like, nothing was... Nobody was talking to anybody and everything was just being made in, like, a... Like, I don't know. Non-oversaw, completely insane way where everything yeah. just doesn't make any sense. I mean, from my perspective, the whole series has been a tortured mess since, like, after 10. Yeah. <laughs> I think 10 was the last one that made any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, 12 was great. Sense. Play 12. 12, so 12 yeah, actually 12, is amazing. 12 is very uh, good. Yeah. I saw my, I saw roommates in college play 12. I got enough yeah. out of it. But the, uh, the, the story cool. is definitely the weakest part of 12, but gameplay-wise, it's it's one of the more fun ones. Uh, it's yeah. But, it's really man. fun. Isn't it really? Yeah, but isn't, it, isn't that the one where you basically have fun by playing the game less by programming your people to play the game for you yeah it's great <laughs> it's so good. i don't know it's like it's a different really way fun. of playing the game though because like you're setting up the ai for people and there's a lot of customization and i don't know it's really and also neat. like your your choices are limited early on so you still have to manually control them it's only like late game when you can pretty much 
fully automate things. And at that point, you're grinding anyways. Mm, yeah. So it's like essentially they clean up the grinding aspect of it to make it easier. Because I know that I got like my guys maxed out because there's this one area that like you can go in like a weird square and there are like bats that like continually respawn for some reason. And if you, you set up your like, I can't remember what they call Gambit. Uh, Gambit. like Gambit, you <laughs> set them up correctly, it'll just r- pretty much run for itself and you can just kind of like leave it like and your game will just max out your characters oh but that's a fun rewarding experience okay yeah if you say so it was a lot of fun because you got to figure out all that shit to make it work and you're just like "Ah, once you get it and it works it's so good Hmm. but then i just like walked right through the boss (laughs) yeah i think like a lot of final fantasy games if you kind of grind and like figure it out the the real part of the game is going to be a joke but they of course have like crazy optional stuff at the end, which are almost become like puzzle bosses where like you can't you can't leave gambits on. You have to like figure out the right shit to do. You can't just be like heal and uh, like attack their weakness and drop them. It's like, no, like this guy is only weak to one thing and you gotta try it and try all your shit and figure out what what he's weak to. Or like this boss will blast you for like ten thousand damage. <laughs> so you have to like hmm. figure out the right combination of things to like get the boss to like target the right person. And like, make sure that person has like reverse so they get healed by damage, and make sure they have like a decoy so like the other two people don't get hit. It's like really, mm-hmm. it gets really crazy at the end. Oh, it's so much fun. And like, unlike a lot of the other more classic Final Fantasy games, there's a lot of character character customization. Like, you can kind of build your guys however you want, uh, and you can you can really play with the itemization system. I don't know, super fun. I like it a lot. Um, but yeah, the the rest of the Final Fantasy is thirteen. Uh, it's not great. Um, did anybody play any of the sequels to 13, 13, 2, and uh, 13, 3? I heard 13, 2 sucks, but I guess 13, 3 is actually kind of cool. Or Sounds like maybe perverse. Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. But I, they could be good. I have no idea. Um, you'd think that also by the... Just Go ahead. sequeling off of a number. Uh, yeah. hurts me it's so weird sounding 13 I mean, 3 13 2 do you remember yeah. x2 yeah no way no I, I bought that for some reason and i played it and i was like this is fucking trash yeah <laughs> i think i rented Pop it star bullshit yeah i rented it from blockbuster well, the voice acting is just so then. grading it's oh it's, oh, it's, it's so unbearable. bad i uh <laughs> the the weeboo in me i was like maybe if i download an undubbed patch version of it where you can get a a a version of the the rom to run an emulator that has the japanese voices redubbed back in i was like maybe that'll be tolerable okay. and it was worse it was like oh no how this is just <laughs> really? abysmal even the it's japanese voice like, acting like, is bad just like like oh, garbage turned up to 11 i hated it uh, <laughs> so maybe people really liked apparently it's a fun game underneath that but i just could not i get didn't into find it. it fun um but man no bueno me <laughs> um have you guys been watching uh attack on titan it's been coming out i stopped watching the show because they pulled like a naruto time-wasting nonsense where there's like 10 episodes of them flying through the treetops <laughs> i was like <laughs> oh why like are you wasting one? my time it, it's like season i don't know two or something when they're just yeah, like, like all through of the, the episodes for episodes and episodes and episodes and it's clearly like time-wasting budget animation because they're not even like 
like animated yeah. well. Like the the draw of that show is the beautiful sequences, which are amazing, but also like they were really like they had like the season finale of that season and the beginning of that season were both really strong, and the whole middle part of it was just time wasting garbage. Was that the season where they had to do some like internal political intrigues? Maybe I don't know. That was that definitely they 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 uh, abbreviated that in the show quite a lot over uh, the okay. manga. Yeah, maybe you should I read the manga. <laughs> I have different qualms about the manga too because like I've only read the first few chapters of the manga, but like the guy sucks at drawing. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure he gets yeah. Much the drawings are very time. bad. He gets but, better. He gets better. yeah. Like, but then again, like I go back and I look at some of my favorite mangas. Like they're really rough in the first few chapters. <laughs> like even yeah. Satoma Nihei, like blame is is pretty His... fucking rough for like whoa the whoa, first... whoa whoa whoa. Uh, his shit, well, like his people, his people are rough. His yeah. worlds are absolutely fantastic. From yeah, I'll give you that. Okay, the, the environment looks really nice. But then again, you know, I feel like Tag and Titan might be also the environment stuff is is pretty incompetent too. But maybe it's just so, I just uh, hate the way he draws people too. <laughs> yeah, I found I find his people just terrible. Yeah. Like I I was like slogging through the manga for a while, and I was just like, yo, I was hoping it would get better. But like the TV, the, the the show is so gorgeous. Like yeah. it's it's like show unbelievably beautiful. I love that like thick outline style and like there's so many like key moments that aren't even really action. They're just gorgeously made. Like like the one guy doing that like emboldened speech and then doing a salute when everyone's gonna shoot the cans at him. And I was like, oh my god, it's so sick. Oh god, I don't know. I should watch that show again. Yes, that's what I was. Um, <laughs> I didn't finish watching it. I'm a couple of seasons behind at this point. So we, we're talking very uh, passionately about a lot of Japanese-made products. Wouldn't you guys say that you're all pretty uh, big consumers of, of Japanese-made like games and other media? Mm-hmm. Yes. You look behind me, my TV has Dragon Ball on it. Of course. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, that is a show I could never quite get into. Yeah, it's great. Wait, Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball? Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Dragon Ball is supposed to be the really, really good one. Like, as far as like artistically merit, or doesn't Dragon Ball have a lot more of a? I don't, I've been I've been told it's extremely good, even if you kind of don't like the Dragon Ball Z style. Yeah. Like, well, Dragon Ball Z is when like it, you know I don't know how much you know about shonen stuff, but like at a certain point they all become serious and about fighting, and Dragon Ball yeah. is like the pre part. The the manga is all one thing. It's all Dragon Ball, not Dragon Ball Z. Show is when they split it off. Oh, really? Like, yeah. I didn't realize that. The show is like. Is there just like a time jump in the manga where like it goes from? I don't know. Goku I haven't read like that early Goku? in the manga, um, but I would imagine uh. that I think it just keeps going, but maybe not. Because um, like the end of Dragon Ball, Goku's like an adult and he's in the the tournament and he like fights Chi Chi and then, but like, I don't know how much of a yeah, a jump there is. So, uh, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was. I wanted to ask you one more question about this, uh, uh, which is like, I think we talked about it on the podcast before, but would you guys say that you're like the Japanese stuff that you've consumed as a kid and growing up was like really influential and or formative on you as a creative person today? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> definitely. What's that? Tell me how. Like, what is it? What does it mean to you? Uh, video games in particular. Obviously, I work in the gaming industry. Most of the games I played as a child are and like formative games are all Japanese made, like Sonic and Final Fantasy and Metal Gear Solid. Um, Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
Mario. Yeah, anything anything majorly Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> Mario. Mario. The Mario. Mario. The Mario Brothers. Including the, the movie, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the movie is like absolutely zero Japanese. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> the part part of uh, so part of what I'm trying to get at here is there's this really we're 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 like in this like receiving end of of all this sort of Japanese influence on us as creators, and it makes us you know whatever we make is going to be sort of intrinsically influenced by it but not like it's not like we're ever going to take exactly what we consumed from the japanese side and just like recreate it right we like take it in we internalize it we mix it up with all of our other experiences and influences and inspirations and then make something newish right that's like the unique Ish. amalgamation of of what we of what yeah what we've sort of chewed up digested and then like spit back out with our own unique twist on everything that's like what creativity is right mm -hmm. um it's a bit of inspiration it's a bit of, of your own uniqueness I read an article a while back that was doing a, that did a really interesting job. I think it was an article. I can't honestly could have been could have been anything. That was like it was trying to theorize as to why specifically Japanese stuff was particularly attractive to like um, like American kids in I guess like our, like us as kids and Americans even I guess more recently. And it's like a it's like that Japanese culture as it, as they produce culture today is both it's like a it's like a perfect yin yang combination of unfamiliar and familiar and then it goes back and it starts stepping back as to like why that is right so like japanese society is both highly unique and we can or i want to get into that in a little while like like because of its geography and its history but it's also highly influenced by uh like western culture and the united states in particular and there's this like really weird like alchemy that goes on there that means like when when like japanese people produce stuff we americans see both that uniqueness coming from like their unique japanness but then also the influence from kind of our culture mixing together and creating this like thing that's just on that weird edge of of new and familiar or new and unfamiliar sorry familiar and unfamiliar there we go i don't know like what do you guys think about that i think it makes a certain amount of sense but the thing that my mind immediately goes to is when I was growing up and when I was into sort of, you know, Japanese video games and, you know, to a lesser degree, television and manga and whatnot, it wasn't actually popular. It was very much a niche thing. And it was typically a sort of niche thing that was enjoyed by the, you know, unpopular minority, by the nerds and whatnot. Um, and I figure that's, you know, I'm just, I'm not that much older than the rest of you, but I'm a little bit older. But I figure it became more and more mainstream as time went on. But it started off as this incredibly mainstream. niche thing. <laughs> well, yeah. nowadays it's extremely mainstream. Even back back in yeah. back in the '90s, ye old '90s, it was it was still pretty, you know, extremely yeah. nerdy and underground. But also, it was a lot harder to like get access to a lot of it, you know. Uh, right, like because one of the things that I remember is my brother was a big fan of Dragon Ball Z. And, like, the sort of dubbed things that they were showing on Cartoon Network only went up to, like, I don't know, like, fighting. Actually, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I think so. Anyway. Um, anyway, he got a bunch of fan subbed stuff. And the way that he did that, because this was before, like, the Internet Mike was, you know, grinning. really sort of we, like. We already um, talked about you know, Dragon Ball. We don't need to do another fucking episode about Dragon Ball. I'm just cutting it off right there. Right. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. So in, anyway, so it was basically just he got VCRs that someone copied and then sort of like mailed to him because that was the way you got fan subs back then. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, man. Real. We we uh, I, I probably downloaded the the rips from those VHS tapes. 
Yes. Because <laughs> they had like compression artifacts and also VHS artifacts. So like, uh-huh. yeah, it was real, real, real rough. But, you know. And it was just like reams and reams of cassettes because each cassette couldn't hold too much. And there was a lot of Dragon Ball. Hundreds of episodes. Yeah. Even, as, as long as Dragon Ball is, it's still in like 300 episodes. One Piece is like current episode is like 980 or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, but when we were kids, like, I think one thing that was like, like a big part of why Japanese stuff was really influential was because I, I felt like a lot of media and stuff that was produced in America was really pandering to kids. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of like the Japanese work that was like brought over, uh, <laughs> it seemed like it was kind of brought over without like too much thought. It was just kind of like, yo, that's cool. Bring it over. Yeah, it's so, a cartoon. Like, we'd it's get for a lot kids. Of, yeah. We'd get a lot of stuff that's actually not for kids or it's taking itself very seriously. And so as a child, like when you're seeing something presented to you in like, it, it's like done really well, like it's artistically like really competent. And it doesn't and treat you like an taking, idiot. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take, <laughs> like it's taking itself seriously and also expecting you to take it seriously. Like you engage with it far more. And that's why I think like some of the shows and stuff really la- like I latched onto as a, as a kid. And I mean, like you look at some of the video games and stuff, like a lot of the video games, consoles and stuff, so much of it was purely Japanese based and like, I feel like the the stuff that was produced in America was a lot of like, I can't think of the term for it. Um, E.T. the video game. Garbage. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like um, just trash. the shit that like, <laughs> it's like the movie tie-ins and other garbage, you know, yeah. like licensed stuff. That's the word, licensed in <laughs> my brain. And so like you would get a lot of just like chaff. And so like the original yeah. works were coming out of Japan. I know on PC and stuff, like there was a lot more original stuff and really cool but as a little kid i only had access to the nes and it seemed like to me the majority of the good stuff was being produced in japan of course i didn't know that same thing Mm -hmm. like when i watch these like the animes and stuff on tv like i didn't know that half this shit was produced and where it was coming from i was just like yo this is dope it's so why why is this like these ones are so much cooler Let's make more of these. And it's like, oh, all of those ones are from Japan. (laughs) So so there's one other thing I wanted to say, both about like what you were saying and also what Brendan was mentioning earlier about that combination of the familiar and the unfamiliar. Like one thing that I found very interesting about anime when I was first exposed to it was that for the most part, American animation at the time was exclusively for children. It was all sort of like, you know, like Bugs Bunny and sort of Mickey Mouse and things like that targeted for kids. Specifically there wasn't very like young kids as well. Like, yeah, you wouldn't have a cartoon exactly. thing over like eight years old, you know? <laughs> right. That's like sort I mean of when I say like pandering kind yeah. of is that the target is was it just felt way off. Right. And so, like, I think the one the cartoon I can think of with the oldest audience at the time was like The Simpsons. They were the sort of like edgy progressive thing back then. Um, And things like South Park and uh, the like hadn't come out yet. And so part of what was really interesting for me about anime was that, hey, this is like, you know, you know, cartoons but they're targeted towards adults with sort of like more interesting and mature themes and whatnot um and i was like hey wait a minute that's really interesting because it's both something i was familiar with growing up watching cartoons but also it was unfamiliar in that this is 
being presented in a way that I'd never actually seen before, mm. which is part of what brought me in. I would say I would say also I'm, I'm sure most of you would agree is that like it had this look right there's like this look mm -hmm. to the anime that was completely different. Yeah, um, you could look yeah. at it and be like, "Yo, that is definitely not American made." Yeah, no. and and those of us, I mean, those listening who may you know like anime has this kind of I would say maybe a poor reputation when this when you think about this look like those super exaggerated like big shiny eyes like can get honestly a little ridiculous depending on the anime you're watching. Mm. Which is um, funny because but, like the '90s version of that is so subdued compared to modern anime. Yeah, I know. It's that, true. Like, they even get, then, they the got, trope like, was like, really oh, realistic. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just because they're so they're just so distinctive that people don't think about the more realistically drawn anime. Yeah. But um, I wanted to this this is where it starts to get really interesting, right? Because we're talking about how you know something that influenced us, but if then that's like like we're like a generation of kids being influenced by the previous generation of adults creating stuff. Now that generation of adults. When you start looking at their influences, this is where it starts to get weird. And you start to realize that there's this crazy cultural tennis going on between America and Japan. So yeah. it's like a feedback loop. Yeah. So like anime basically got got its like main start in like the 60s, mm -hmm. like Astro Boy. You guys have ever heard of Astro Boy? Yep. Yep. It's like the original anime, basically. Um, that's I forget the name of the creator. Uh, but he, like, like the, 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 look, the look and the artist who basically invented Astro Boy drew a ton of inspiration on um, both Disney and also, I don't know if this was created by Disney. I think it was Flusher or something, but um, Betty Boop is a huge part <laughs> of the look and feel of what anime turned into. They took a lot, of, a lot of Japanese people, <laughs> yeah, like her, her, her body style, her big eyes, all that stuff was a, a huge inspiration into the look that, that ended up being defined in the 60s uh, when like Astro Boy and some other shows like it were created. And that's where this is where it starts to get like a little weird and crazy. Um, I love I love looking at history kind of like I think I think like we t often learn or teach history like wrong how we just kind of start at the beginning and move forward. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's I, I prefer experiencing history by like starting in the pe present and like stepping down like a ladder. It's like it's it's better to understand like what, what the recent thing based on the thing that immediately preceded it and then the thing that immediately preceded that and so on. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And. uh when you when you do that, like when you start to follow this like relationship between America and Japan, or just like the West and Japan, and even just Japanese culture by itself, like all this shit starts to make sense, and it's like this is why they have this like so this utterly utterly unique culture that's also in, like familiar to us. And I, I thought so, I could take you more on that journey, but yeah. Wow. So I, I think I have sort of an analogy that I found really sort of interesting. Um, have you heard of in evolution what's called the founder effect? No. All right. Um, I mean, I, I suppose I should probably have explained it regardless, even if everyone here said, yes, yes, I'm intimately familiar with yes, it, yes, since, yes, you know, theoretically, we have an audience. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, good sir. So, anyway. We all know it, but, but please. But do go on. I want to it. check my notes against yours. Present. All right. So, um, in evolution, there's a lot of different mechanisms by which new species are sort of, you know, branch off of existing species. Um, and there's probably a term for this in terms of how this uh, is created, but the basic premise is like, okay, you've got a bunch of monkeys, for example, on a big landmass, and they swim over to an island and back and forth for a while because, you know, I don't know, there's a bunch of berries on that island or something. But then, oh no, there's a volcanic eruption or, you know, tsunami or something like that that wipes away the passage from one place to the other. And so all of a sudden now you've got an isolated population of a couple of, you know, chimpanzees or whatnot on the specific island. 
And, you know, on the mainland, you've got like a population of tens of thousands or whatnot. But maybe, you know, after this volcano erupted, you've only got like 50 people, uh, 50 chimpanzees there. So you can imagine, for example, that maybe those 50 chimpanzees are going to reproduce and, you know, populate that island and then come up to a population of like, you know, 10,000 or something. But that population of 10,000 chimpanzees is going to be very different from the population of the 100,000 chimpanzees from the mainland they came from because their attributes are going to be similar to the, you know, 50 or so that went there and created them. And that's the founder effect. Basically, like the, you sort of like this narrowing funnel of like a large population, a couple individuals end up there and then spread out into a bunch of other things. I'm thinking about that in the terms of like Betty Boop being this sort of like, and sort of Walt Disney, like a limited number of American influences going into Japan, converging in this sort of like Astro Boy. And then that being the foundation by which all of the other sort of Japanese anime comes out of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, th I think I totally feel that. Um, and then of course it's crazy to think that then you get influence. I mean, I'm, I'm putting, I'm going back to like modern times, but like, then you get to see how the, like the anime style and things like influences some of the, some of the greatest American works of the last couple of decades, like of Avatar, the last airbender, right? Like, or, or, or like legend of Korra, you might consider that like, it's not technically an anime because the definition of anime is made by Japanese animators, but like <laughs> it itself is just such a, so influenced by that by style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i it was anime yeah but it was still created by americans right yeah. like it was still written and created by them um but so like it's, it's, it's right it's like that that's coming back in mm -hmm. but like um i thought it'd be interesting i thought it'd be interesting to go back even further because like there are periods in history like you know we make fun of the whole like idea of a weeaboo and i don't know if they <laughs> this is like i don't know is that, is that like a slur i don't know but um <laughs> is it? I, don't know. I use it all the time <laughs> some Maybe people may consider it is that going to be like a term when we're all like 80 years old? We're going to be like, wait, bro. And you're like, we're Grandpa, gonna... you can't say that. We're going to get canceled on Twitter and we're going to be like, why? We don't get this. I don't know. He's I from a different a time. time though, so I don't know. Um, uh, for those of you listening and don't understand this term, it's like a term for the for someone who's like super, super into like Japanese pop culture stuff, but also usually isn't into the other sort of aspects of Japanese culture or like they only kind of, so they're, they're, they're like they're only interested in that very narrow thing and then get often a, a skewed perspective a skewed perspective of what like japanese culture truly yeah. is um <laughs> those of us who went to rit which is all of us right yeah uh, not no me. oh right not, not Trevor. Trevor. uh i think there, there's this infamous thing that always happened at rit which is like people would come in with this you know being huge anime or games fans and being like i want to take japanese class and then realizing how hard it was and dropping out in like the first semester yeah <laughs> yeah, like I, I managed to make it to my second year and dropped out halfway through that. <laughs> Perfect. I think two years is. I think two years is respectable. Mm. You, you you stuck it out. That's why Andrew but, um, and I took German instead. Mm. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> why the fuck did you take German? <laughs> I, I thought I could get out of an art history that. class, but it turns out it didn't count, so I had to take the art history <laughs> class. <anyway. laughs> yeah, that bit you in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Um. But what I wanted to get at was that uh, there was sort of like a weeaboo phase back in like the like the uh 1800s so there was a period of time what yep what do you mean yep. there were <laughs> claude Where? monet was claude monet was a weeaboo that's what we're going holy to say. shit <laughs> monet was a weeaboo <laughs> what art history yeah <laughs> yeah let's, let's come back to getting back yeah, to the art, art history, history. Thing. yeah so stepping back. down this yeah stepping down this like ladder of history um there was a period of time 
where Jap- Japan was essentially completely cut off from the, the rest of the world for like a couple hundred years. There was like a whole bunch of like strife or whatever going on. And the guy who ended up taking over Japan was like, fuck it, country's closed. Just nope, no, no more outside world. We're, we're Japan. We're just sticking to ourselves. And, you know, as it, its geographic location is okay, like kind of allows that to happen, right? It's an island nation. It's kind of off on the edge of the eastern side of the world with a giant Pacific Ocean. And, you know, so as long as, as long as they're sort of like, that's what they want, they can probably do that. And there was this period, um, unfortunately, America came along and did like a colonialism on them. <laughs> in the, America did what, what it does we best. would never do that that's ridiculous I don't believe that yeah, yeah Japanese people aren't a huge fan of this guy Matthew Perry he basically came in with these like big old gumboats and was just Wait, like the guy from Friends mm-hmm. yes the guy from Friends came along and was just like uh, we've got big gunboats and you're opening the country now and after s- several hundred years of isolation Japan was actually really behind on like technology so they didn't have the military might to even like so they were kind of helpless. So they sort of reopened the country, um, and and suddenly, like, uh, and and one reason that that Matthew Perry and, and the colonialism was happening was because there's all this unique stuff going on in Japan, and so suddenly a bunch of Japanese products are being like exported all over the place, and Europeans went like fucking wild for it, and and they all became like weeaboos. So like, um, there's this one there's this one particular thing that Japan was really good at, which is these like woodblock prints, mm-hmm. and so like there's like this, it's like this whole beautiful art form, right? And and you like carve different like woodblocks, and you put different colors of ink on them, and you press them on the paper in a different order, and it creates these semi mass producible but extremely beautiful, very very distinctly Japanese looking pieces of art. And I mean, this is just in like a little bit of my research, but like Japanese products were often packaged with like these prints as like the prints were almost like wrapping paper or something and then like artists in like france and whatever were like these are beautiful we just want like the art and they started like importing all the art and uh if if you were like a man of class it was like a status symbol to have like japanese styled stuff including these woodblock prints and then the artists of the time like claude monet and some of the others would look at those prints and take like direct inspiration and would would like make paintings and like similar styles or like similar poses to the people that they saw. And, and that was like one of like the, just an amazing, amazing past example of like this highly influential, like unique culture, like smacking the West in the face and everyone being like, holy crap, this is so cool. We want this. And the West um, continuing to be shitty. <laughs> yeah. Ye well. old Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. <laughs> Monet's um, Goku. Yeah, Monet is right. Goku. <laughs> Holy shit. We got I gotta do a fan art of Goku in Monet style. Wow. Yeah. But that, that really pace, brings baby. it all the way here we go. All the way back around. Yeah. <laughs> of course, thinking also about that that like cultural tennis, at the same time, Japan got super influenced by the West, right? So that's this is a period called the Meiji Restoration. Which happened shortly. Like there's like a bunch of eternal strife. Again, once again, Japan's gone through you know tons of crazy times, as have we all. But there was a point where the government had kind of a shift and they were like, all right, we're gonna become like a lot more Western. And they adopted a lot of like like Western technology and science and culture. And um this is this is like like remember like the last samurai when there was like this Yeah. Remember that movie where where there was like the samurai culture was dying basically? Like this is that time yep. period. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, Tom Cruise. Becomes the greatest Come samurai on. in a year and learns perfect yes, Japanese. The... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking white savior shit movie. Mm-hmm. I loved that movie when I was a kid. Yeah. It's got a cool ninja fight scene in it. <laughs> yeah, it does. 
my favorite part of that movie was actually when the samurai guy at the end is like dying but like his in his dying like moment he like appreciates the sakura blossoms falling mm. and he's like it's beautiful and he dies that was very that was cool. good spot that was a good movie that was a good moment but um no but that, that's like uh you know that that was essentially that essentially right like being in like the late 1800s is kind of what sets japan up for becoming the japan of you know world war one and two where it's also it was... where japanese curry comes mm. into the picture uh, also, yeah. yeah, that that period of time is the Meiji Restoration, correct? The Meiji Restoration was, yeah, the the, the period of time where where Japan opened, like shortly after they re- opened the country from being closed, mm-hmm. uh, became like yeah, very westernized, uh, upgraded their military, started conquering like the entire Pacific Ocean, you know, all that stuff mm. <laughs> from like whoops, whoops, yeah, right. They they, they inherited up some bad habits from America, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I think the moral they, of the story yeah, is that human beings are awful. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, human human Don't empires mm-hmm. human empires have existed across all kinds of uh, all kinds of cultures. It's not just uniquely Western. Yeah, and yet America is uniquely that. <laughs> it's it's just the most modern one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's the most influential one of our day. I would say. Yeah. I'm sure, but I'm anyways, sure equally across the history, like you know, the French Empire, Rome, whatever the fuck, whatever history or era Britain. you're in. Everyone's terrible. Everything is off. Across all of history, yeah. there's America. <laughs> the like, spirit of America. Want to colonize? Not, <laughs> not really. That only, that's only the last couple it hundred years. Yeah. It jumps back in time and puts us Want to do a colonize? Yeah. Ever wonder why the Roman Empire fell? America. America. Yeah, it's America. 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 <laughs> you go back in time, it's like, holy shit, this dude's got an M16. He's like, I'm going to go conquer fucking Rome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you look carefully at the renderings of Julius Caesar being stabbed in the back, he's actually being shot. Well, by an AR-15. By George Washington. <laughs> George Washington with an M16. Um, what's happening? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much further back I should take you on like the ladder of history journey because it's still it's like you, there's a point where like like you know the Japanese uh, West thing hasn't really begun yet right mm. because there's a point where you need to go back to um if you go back know, to if you go back too far bce where well, like human beings That's like... haven't migrated to the island yet uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some history there so i mean if you go back that far right did, did japanese cult you, you get to understand why japanese culture became unique even to like asian culture even though it was highly influenced by its neighbors but i guess that's like it was because of the dragon yeah. balls the japanese the drag- found them mm-hmm. and took them to japan Exactly. Or they discovered them already in Japan, maybe. They're like, hey, we need a writing system. Let's take China's writing system, but only use it for certain words. And for other words, we can use our own writing system. But actually, let's have two different versions of that writing system for the same words. But one we'll use for (laughs) transliterated words. You sound, you, you sound bitter, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you had studied Japanese, you would be bitter too. Well, you compare it to like a, a very like relatively modern language a written language like korean and like you can see all of the hallmarks of it just being like unbelievably well thought out as opposed to like english or any or japanese or fucking any asian language it's just like wow <laughs> is it just i guess was korean just more purposefully designed as opposed to other ones that sort of evolved organically over yeah. a bajillion years um, yeah I don't, I don't know how much of this is the propaganda answer to this but like the 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 written korean language was like originally created like it's pretty it's pretty recent like like less than a thousand years old of like well yeah there was a period of time where the korean peninsula was conquered by the yeah. japanese uh, I, I, like and apparently it was like there was created as like a resistance movement 
to like have their own written language anyway but yeah. like it's incredibly elegant and it's only 24 characters and like very phonetically written out and the korean language in general is very nice um and unbelievably hard to pronounce for western people <laughs> more so Neat. than japanese but uh <laughs> i guess not as bad as chinese because tonal languages suck um they don't suck i suck but if you if you don't yeah, grow up with tonal languages whatever I we love should language, do a whole. So. We should do a whole podcast. Yeah, we should do a whole podcast of languages. Honestly, yeah, a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, uh, I studied um, Korean for I don't know about a year, and Japanese for a little bit longer. But, but I'm also a weeaboo, <clears> so I have that like osmosis of garbage weeaboo Japanese. You know, like nani. <laughs> you know all the all the crap <laughs> you pick the, up for watching the show. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. stuff you really shouldn't say because it's all really rude and impolite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Roll your eyes like a Yakuza guy, you know? Uh, I freaked my cat out. She's running around like crazy. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> like a brick was thrown. Yeah. You're actually really good at doing that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, samurai R roll. Yeah. Samurai. All right. If I need any Japanese voice acting for a game I work on in the future, I know who to talk to. Yeah. I thought she was. And the nice the nice thing about Japanese is it actually has a very limited set of uh sounds actually. Yeah, it's yeah. easy-ish to pronounce for the most part. Um yeah, but the but writing system is the hardest thing. The writing system is a train wreck that caught on fire yeah. and then ran ran into a space station. Which is like I actually yeah. really like the kanji just for like as an aside, like one of the one of the character systems based on Chinese characters that Japanese people use is called kanji. And it's these like very elaborate, elegant like basically pictograms um and there's like a very strict way of drawing them and writing them and there's a stroke order and and it's like really like the the artist in me absolutely loves it and like i you know i have a kanji dictionary and i practice them every now and then but like it's just really fun <laughs> it's like totally impractical yeah. and like even now a lot of them end up a lot of them end up looking like little pictures of the thing they uh depict yeah right like well some the of them. kanji for a yeah so and I, a lot of them or some of them depending on you or at least once you sort of can recognize the, the it, even if it's very unfamiliar, it like helps you figure out other things. Like I love that person is just like this like two little swoops that kind of look like a person standing in place. Yeah, it's like yeah. a little stick figure. And uh, yeah, gold is like as a mill as a mountain with like little flecks of gold inside of it. Mm -hmm. It's one of my yep, favorite yep. ones to draw gold. Uh, I just can tell little stories about about each one. Um, you know, Japanese the Japanese writing system is actually a really interesting example of what we're kind of talking about here, where Japan is utterly unique but also a product of the influences around it um right so you've got kanji which we've said yeah are the basically imported chinese characters that that happened you know quite a long time ago and then they also invented their own writing like their own um, phonetic alphabet and then they intermix them together like in most japanese so you have uh the, the kanji characters and then the it's called hiragana which is the like phonetic alphabet and, and normal written japanese is a combination of both of those two alphabets but then you also have this like wet, you know, the, the outside world influence. Uh, so like a, this other writing system is called katakana, and that's that's what you were saying with the sort of imported words. So a lot of English words are then uh, depicted in this other uh, other writing system. So then the Japanese language ends up being right this like like one page of Japanese writing could contain Chinese characters, their own unique characters, and then their own also their own unique characters, but are specifically meant for depicting like. Western yeah. American or English words or other places. So you take a word like curry, you translate that into kare, and then that kare would be in katakana as a ka and a day. 
and then as a borrowed word uh, yeah as a borrowed word but you wouldn't write kare in, in hiragana like the more swoopy version because it's it's a the because that's for japanese words only yeah. yeah um which is so you'd say like interesting gohan right for rice yeah. would be uh, actually, I don't, there's probably a there's probably a kanji for that one. I think it's a combination. Han, it's like a kanji and then an, and then an n at the end, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> We're getting into the weeds. Language is so much fun, though. Get into the weeds. Yeah. But it's like a good example of trying of what I'm trying to sort of depict here yeah. and and why why I think Japanese culture is just so cool and interesting. But I mean, like uh, that's why language in general is so interesting, though, because like you know English is you know is derived from like pretty much all a lot of the Western languages, the Latin Romance languages. You know, they're all coming from these common roots, and they all had like weird shared nonsense that like sort of is like borrowed and whatever and um and nowadays like everything is becoming like super like crazy intermixed where you know there's so many like western words that get like put into like other foreign languages for like technology stuff and there's so many other foreign words that get put into like everything for like cooking or whatever because it's french so it sounds cooler it's just neat (laughs) you know I, i love finding all that stuff. The other thing I was going to say about kanji is my understanding is that they're a reasonable writing system for Chinese because it's the tonal language and that like I, I don't know if the kanji like each individual kanji uniquely identifies a particular word in Chinese. Probably not because they they have to reason. No, to but some they extent. they do have a they do recommend represent a specific sound. Right. Which is different from Ch- Japanese, which is they could be right. multiple, multiple sounds, which is goddamn horrible. But Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, And so like the problem and basically like Japanese took that writing system because it was the one that, you know, they were closest to and they were influenced by. But it's actually a pretty horrible fit to their language in terms of like coming up with a reasonable writing system. Like it's one of the most sort of like perverse and complicated writing systems that resulted from their interaction with other cultures and their writing system. But it's super unique. Yeah, like, yes, that. absolutely. <laughs> and then you have Korean, <laughs> where every letter is the exact sound, and then you group the letters up into syllables, and they're grouped up into the words. So you read the syllables phonetically, which each little sound, and it follows the rules. And it's so perfect. It's cool. Uh, it's it, I saw a really cool like guide to uh, Asian languages, like to under like just so you could like at a glance like look at the script and then understand which language it is. Um. And yeah, they, they characterized Korean as like has like lots of nice geometric shapes, like perfect circles and stuff going on. Uh, Japanese is like a combination of like, you know, dense Chinese characters and then swoopy characters and then sharp stabby characters. And it's like all of them together. Yeah. And the Chinese will be just complicated characters. <laughs> yeah, just, just big, big blocky characters. Oh, man. One other uh, funny language thing I wanted to bring up with Japanese is another example of the like cultural tennis is uh, wase ego. Have you guys heard of that term? No. Sounds familiar. Well, ego means English. Yeah, so wase ego means Japanese-made English. So this is stuff that's like sounds like English, but it was like phrases that were coined like in in Japan. (laughs) So it's a little bit different from like loan words, right? Because like a loan word like, you know, curry is something they just kind of took the word by itself. Um, Wase ego, it's like more complex or like slightly more complex phrases that are just like seem like English, but they're like very bizarre to like a native English speaker. Like there's like my pace, which is like my pace or like at my speed. And that's like an adverb or a phrase used in Japanese. <laughs> or my favorite is my favorite is my boom, which means like whatever you're into. <laughs> my boom. That's my yeah, boom. My boom. Wow. But so they would, like of course, slang in English, but developed in Japan. 
Okay, yeah. For them, I love it. Amazing. <laughs> My boom. My boom. It also yeah. makes me think of like um, J- Japanese people do a lot of um, shortening of words and phrases. Um, so a convenience store is a thing, right? And Seven so Eleven. They actually, say sus. They, they probably know, would. They probably have started. Yeah. I don't. I don't know yet. Like Seven Eleven is a huge thing in Japan. It's actually I think it's actually a Japanese country uh, company. But um, and Seven Elevens, by the way, in Japan are way nicer and cooler and better than uh, the ones here. But anyways, um, they they call convenience stores konbini. It's a konbini. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And air conditioners are arpon. Oh man. Yes. And uh, personal computers are pasokon. Yeah, I was gonna pasokon. say pasoko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And notebook computers are noto pasoko. Uh, <laughs> it's like laptops. I don't know. It's fine. starting to lose its uh its efficiency there. Yeah. Words. Like, yeah. I, guess, I, I don't say. know about that. It's like a weird like. Eventually, it becomes like KFC, where it's just like it doesn't actually mean Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore. It's just KFC. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like you lose the like steps along the way to get there. <laughs> like it's supposed to be shorter. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, um, let's go back up the ladder of history then, because it's just like it helps like understand like that uh, tennis again. So, right, ancient Japan assembles like cultural influences from like China and and nearby, and then a little bit later, uh. A little bit of a little bit of conf- uh, of um, contact with the West, uh, then they close down and they kind of like simmer in their own little, Jesus. like simmer in their own little like cultural bubble for a couple hundred years, right? Then they get opened up again, and then like a bunch of influence floods in from the West, and their influence floods out, and then after that, they do some colonialisms. <laughs> As one they, does. Uh, it's yeah, as one does. No big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then there's some wars happened, uh, right? And then, oh, I, I mean, it's actually we didn't really talk about it yet. But after World War II, you know, we, we did, we, you know, some terrible things happened, and they did some terrible things. We did some terrible things to them. But then, you know, the United States came in and did like a really, really intense like rebuilding effort, right? And so there's a ton of, a ton of, I guess I would hopefully say goodwill building because I know most Japanese people today consider the. Um, it, like the, the, the phrase is called the post-war economic miracles. I've heard that a couple times, right? Mm-hmm. Japan's economy kind of went crazy good after um, the rebuilding after World War II. As a side so note, then it's we kind got of all... amazing how well that went compared to all of the American reconstruction efforts that have happened during our lifespans. Yeah. I know. <laughs> For real. Yeah, do, is, that, is, is it just because we, did we invest harder in it last time? Like, when, I'm not sure. Compared to this the time? economics of the time were far different. Mm. I think it's also a matter of where we spent the money in Japan versus the others. Like we went hard kind of in terms of setting up a like actual reasonably democratic system and investing in, you know, like education and whatnot. But honestly, I'm not familiar enough with the history to actually say anything authoritatively about it. But at the end of the day, I think it's that we invested more in infrastructure and useful and actually building up an economy and a country. Mm. Whereas the others, like we were trying to basically like, yeah, okay. We kicked out a dictator. Now let's, you know, try to make sure no dictator set up again by throwing in a bunch of troops and, you know, doing patrols and whatnot, as opposed to, you know, building schools and hospitals. Mm. I, I mean, without getting too much into this, though, like Japan has a pretty strong self-identity as Japan, whereas in places like Afghanistan, I'm pretty sure if I if I'm doing this correctly, uh, people have a lot more identity to like smaller villages and tribes rather than like the country mm-hmm. of Afghanistan and yeah. like our yeah, we're not American also brains like... can't handle we can't handle that concept and we don't know how to rebuild a nation like that way yeah. we can only yeah. rebuild in like a nationalistic sense and I think that I think that made Japan and America more compatible that way 
but yeah anyways right post post-war economic miracle yeah uh 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 uh, they create some art that we like we create some art that they like and it goes back and forth and it's it's a cool thing nowadays i think it's pretty sweet i like it i like mario and zelda yeah and i think japanese people like uh some of the crap that we make well i think it's interesting too specifically for the video game portion of it like if you think about like the whole video game crash in the atari era when there's just like a whole bunch of garbage and then like for the most part, America was kind of done with video games, you know, and then Nintendo comes mm-hmm. in and like basically owns the market and has like a really high bar for quality, which is why I think like in the Nintendo area, most of the the Western console games were so far behind just because there was a the fear of like just not making any money at all because people are so done with video games, but also like the people just didn't have that, you know, technical know how, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just, like, farther behind the curve of, like, making stuff at that quality level, you know? And I feel like part of that is there's just more of a hacker culture in Japan. At least that's the sense I got. Um, I mean, since I get from... I've been there a couple times and having read up and being somewhat of a weeaboo myself. But, like, there's, um like, stores... <laughs> we all are oh, yes, a little bit. Being somewhat <laughs> of a weeaboo myself. <laughs> I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> a connoisseur of weeaboos, if you will. Um, but no, like, they they have, I, I think, Akihabara, is that right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, a district where there's just a bunch of, like, stores that sell electronics components and things like that. Um, and I don't know if some of that was sort of, like, you know, the result of post-World War II reconstruction where they're like, okay, gotta salvage all the materials we can and build stuff and whatnot. But it's, like, there's just a lot more sort of, like, gadgets and fidgeting around over there you know giant mecha is very popular there for a reason in anime giant mecha People should be popular shit. everywhere they should be yeah. this is what yeah. all of the billionaires need to be putting their money into but also yeah what the fuck musk <laughs> make a giant robot make i don't robots. care about mars yeah i care I about mars you hold your goddamn tongue i care about mars a lot let's go to mars yeah, <laughs> yeah we need to make gundams and send them to mars yeah. that's that's exactly mm-hmm. We're we're really losing the Gundam arms race here. They already got one going in Japan. Yeah, I know. Fucking love that. That's like their third one, though. You know, like, but it's the first <laughs> one that moves. Well, I guess one. The first one did move. It just could rotate its head. <laughs> Are they making the first <laughs> that one that sounds... can kill? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. Well, t- technically, the one that could tr- like move its head that can kill if someone was in the wrong spot. Yeah, that's right. They just happen to be inside the neck groove. (laughs) (laughs) How did I get here? (laughs) Trip and fall there and their head falls into the neck groove. Mm. (laughs) We've we've made it back to modern day. You guys ready to take a break? Yeah, we can take a break. Yeah. I think we need a break. All right. Yeah. Welcome back. Hey. You guys want to do... Hey, check this out. Check this out. Every day of my life. Let's do it. <laughs> I would run out of things if I had to do it every day. Yeah. But once a week is enough. I, I experience know. at least one new thing a week that I can share with the rest of you. <laughs> I'm not even sure I 
<laughs> do that. Mm. Or or I've experienced enough things in my past to yeah. draw from. I've seen shit in my day. <laughs> I've seen some shit. Here, I've got one. Um, so uh, for Christmas, uh, some family members got me this like snack box subscription. So each month you get a snack box from a different country. It's called. I think these are called the Yum Yum Boxes. I've actually had these before. I, I, that's not my check this out, although I would recommend maybe checking those out because it's really fun to get unique, cool snacks from other countries. Uh, and they can actually be quite unique and different. But um, the last one we got uh, was from Denmark. And Denmark is famous for the Stroopwafel. And uh, we were chatting about this before. And Andy, you don't know what a Stroopwafel is, right? I don't. They're amazing. So what they are is these two thin, like, cookie waffles pressed um, together with some, like, caramel on the inside in like a oh. circle that's like i don't know i would say i guess three or four inches in diameter and the thing about the stroopwafel is that it is perfectly designed and sized to stick over a warm beverage so you actually like like get your coffee or your hot chocolate whatever put oh, the stroopwafel okay. on top of the cup and let the steam and the and the heat like warm it up and it gets like a little melty and gooey and chewy and then you eat it and you drink your coffee and it's basically oh. the best thing ever yeah i'm familiar with stroopwafels i was not familiar with that particular aspect of them and i'm looking forward to next time yeah. i have one and i'm also drinking a hot beverage. i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah, order some right now incredible and that because i've only like like a peasant i've only eaten them just like out of the packet just out of the wrapper i feel like i've been doing things wrong my whole life you, you see have, but that basically. is why you participate in this podcast yeah. so that you can eventually become a man of culture mm-hmm. Few listeners of the Red Barn podcast. You, dear listener, are a man of culture or woman or person, non gender specific. You are cultured, is what we're trying to say. You are loved. Hey, I'll go next. And loved. Cultured and loved. (laughs) Yes, go next. I'm going to recommend this YouTube channel. It's called My Analog Journal. And uh, the whole thing is it's just a whole bunch of videos of cool, weird, multi. I guess national playlists of just like bizarre old music. So one of the ones I was listening to is um it's a 25 minute set of just like Soviet block jazz music on records from like the <laughs> 70s and it's sick. <laughs> You're like awesome. All right. There's just USSR jazz music. Great. You know, they have a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, there's a 29-minute set of just, like, a whole bunch of weird Brazilian music on vinyl. Uh, Japanese jazz. There's uh, 60s Turkish surf and garage rock. Like, wow. Wow. I want to listen to that. Turkish garage rock. <laughs> what does Turkish garage rock sound like? I haven't even listened to that one. That's I new. The, I love the concept of Turkish surf rock. Like, Well, surf like, and uh, garage rock. There's the Beach Boys? It's two separate. I would imagine it's a oh. mix. Oh. Uh, oh, even more interesting. Yeah, but it's from the 60s. Wow, amazing. 80s and 90s mix from the UK. Cool. All right. Anyway, it's neat because like a lot of the stuff is like just weird sounding, but also very cool. Good music to listen to. Check it out. If you haven't learned enough about Japanese history from listening to this podcast, I would recommend the excellent supplement uh, YouTube video called History of Japan by Bill Wirtz. Um, it is probably significantly more informative than this podcast and also probably funnier. So why were you listening to this podcast instead of watching this video anyway? I don't know. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it's an old one, but it's a good one. And it was also recommended as viewing material for us to prepare for this. I was about to say this was 
some of the research I did for this particular uh, topic was based on, on that video. Yeah, it, it it's actually a very, very good video in terms of being both informative and entertaining and funny. It's a great synthesis of those things. Um, I'm going to recommend the movie called uh, The Handmaiden. Um, it's about uh, Japan occupied Korea. I think in the 30s, it's a really interesting drama that kind of gets you the side of, uh, you know, Japan as empire and how their kind of culture affects stuff. I think it's the same director as Old Boy. Holy shit. Um, yeah, Ooh. really cool Korean movie. Um, really, really crazy plot and, and stuff happens. Uh, and I, I wouldn't want you to spoil it, but I, I read the, uh, yeah, don't, don't read this until you, uh, watch the movie, but the, the tags, the, the plot keyword tags on IMDb are quite funny, but don't want to spoil it. It's a good movie. The Handmaiden, check it out. So my check this out for this week is the movie Onward. It's the oh, Pixar, Pixar movie from 2020. Um, when I first watched it, I kind of was down on it, um, but Lincoln really loves it, and there's a dragon in the end that's made of concrete and shit, and he loves it so much. So I've seen that movie like a hundred times now, and I have to say, like, it's I've come around quite a bit on it. Like, I see, like, I I get what they were trying to do with it and uh i like it a lot and i think it's good and you should watch it it's on disney plus so i would like to rewatch it again i watched it once and i was like this is all right uh didn't yeah didn't like blow my knock my socks off like ratatouille or the incredibles mm. but uh, it's not like it's not like yeah. that but you know i i think the themes work pretty well and it's a lot of fun yeah um and like I don't know. I feel like it, it does benefit a little bit from like a second watch. Wait, is that the solo like one? Once you kind of know. No. Nope. Wait, they made another movie? Onward. Yeah, in <laughs> yes. 2020. They do. They have continued making movies over the years. It's a thing <laughs> no, they I do. thought Soul just came out. It did. Yeah, it did. It's 2021, man. Welcome to the new year. Uh, they made one in between? Soul. They made one last year? What the fuck? <laughs> Soul was this year. Onward was last what year. What the hell? How did I miss a whole yeah. one? Yeah, it's the one where <laughs> they're just flabbergasted. It's, like, it's, Dude, it's like if you manage to miss day, 2020, I envy uh, you. It's like it's like set in like a fantasy modern day. Uh, oh, where, like, that's why. Because like, the trailer looks fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, Aww. I did not like the trailer. Uh, I like deleted yeah. that from my brain. I'm sure it's, I'm it, going to watch it. I just was like, wow. Yeah. Is that the one where one of the characters is a pair of pants? Yes, okay. legs. But yes, <laughs> there are, are legs that's in like, the pants. That's why, like when I when I went into it, I kind of went into it like down on it. And when it was done, I was kind of like down on it. But then, like on a second rewatch, like I was much more open to it because I kind of had like you know experienced it. So I was then much more open to like letting it wash over me. And uh, I think like you know their themes and stuff i was like it, it actually works a lot better than i was like willing to give it credit for i guess mm. i don't know like the family yeah. themes right yeah like yeah, cause yeah. It's, it's about like two brothers and them like trying to see their dad who died when one of them was really young and the other one he never met his father and so like this is his chance to like see his dad by casting this magical spell 
and he has never cast magic before and so it's about like him going on a journey with his brother and like learning how to be kind of a wizard and his brother is like a dungeons and dragons nerd and that's how he knows all this stuff about magic because it's based off of their actual reality and the and in the beginning of the movie they failed to summon the dad all the way yeah. like there's there, the spell is to bring him back like for a day or something and yeah that's why he, the dad comes back and then they screw up but like they, they, they start summoning the dad and they screw up the spell and so he only comes back as half of a dad which is the, the pants half <laughs> yeah they need like a, a special gem to cast the spell like a reagent and so they need to find a new one and they go on a quest to do it yeah cool and it's like if you're if you're like open to it and like not like kind of down on it i think you'll get a lot more out of it than i did on the first viewing yeah okay that was good i'll give it a shot i uh do it even the bad ones usually are pretty good so yeah uh let's see i am at a Midler on twitter where can people find you guys uh i am the brendo on twitter i am at heckbringer at twitter i am on twitter at radhesion also adhesion.bandcamp.com and soundcloud.com slash adhesion where i just put up a new remix you can check it out Ooh, oh, I, what? Twitter. I haven't listened to it yet uh you can you can get in contact with all of us at team red mars on twi- twitter redmars.ish.io redmars.com tell your grandma have her go there she'd be like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah. uh who's editing today uh, this episode is edited by one of the Andes. I don't care. Me. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> this episode is edited by Andy Midler, and music is by uh, Andrew Ford. Yes. And the rest Great of us job. are just, you know, not really contributing, just talking. That's what we do. Mm. Sometimes I give edit recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> and we all suggest titles. That's yeah. that's that's what we do. And they're always like, yep. Roushy, we bleeped you because you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to preemptively apologize. There's going to be a lot of cat audio in this one. She was going psycho. Uh, yeah, I, I was watching the camera and listening, and I'm just like, this is going to be a nightmare because she just is like walking <laughs> over your desk and kicking shit. Smacking your mic with yeah. her tail. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry about that. She apparently is like crazy today. I don't know why. She just loves Japan. Mm-hmm. She loves Japan. Yeah. She's super. What is it? Professor Kitty Cat Face Meowmers? Mm-hmm. What's the name? Professor again? Cat Face Meowmers, yeah. Professor Cat Face Meowmers, okay. It's a Wizard People Dear Reader reference. Uh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Which, if you've never seen Wizard People Dear Reader, I, I have. Yeah. I have. It, it's just, you yeah. know, it's been a while. I think uh, I think we did an episode, guys. Yay. Good job, guys. Yes. We did it. I'm Good going job. back to No Life in Path of Exile. Okay. Nice. Goodbye. <laughs> it's just every every couple of weeks awesome. I'll get like eighty new messages on <laughs> Slack. I like see the little thing with eighty on it. I'm like, oh no. Here's Andy talking about his magic system again. And then I'll read it while I'm on the toilet and I'm like, that's neat. (laughs) Does does Rashi then accidentally influence you to make like it more poop poopish? Like poop mancy? Poop poop mancy. Yeah. Poopal mancy. Toilet mancy. Toilet mancy. I'm a toilet mancer. He doesn't need to influence me to make it more toilet (laughs) mancery. You influence him. Mm
Yeah. I'm going to put a toilet scene in my video game. 